souls of the animal kingdom. Eagle, fox, bottlenose dolphin, octopus, house cat. Okay, let's jump this jump. Welcome to Sin of Beef Podcast. I am your host, Gary Hill, uh, with you as always, of course. And uh, this time around is a guest who um, gave me the longest explanations for a film she doesn't like, she likes and doesn't like. And um, she's uh, she's, she's, she's quite the person. And I'd like like for her to introduce herself and tell her what she's all about. Go for it, girl. Hi, I'm Cindy Finn Fallon. Um, you might find me in some chat rooms as Wolfway. Um, I'm originally from New York. I've lived in Florida and Alaska and Arizona. Um, currently in Arizona, I'm an LGBT correspondent for the Morning Ritual with Garrett Lewis and 790 AM KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. So I am their resident bisexual. But more than that, I'm also a shamanic witch, and some of that might come into context during our discussion today. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the interview. That's a pretty important job, resident bisexual, since you're the, the <laughs> bisexual, you know? It's, it's, it's pretty important, you know? <laughs> Especially for right-wing radio, it's not something that's too common for them, so there's a lot of, you know, information that has to come from me. Oh boy! So you say you're a shamanic witch. You got any uh, weird stories to share with the audience? Like anything that you want to divulge in? Oh, um, I'll just briefly say that um, I am a big um, fan of found footage, and people might hate it, but I love Paranormal Activity. Um, and one of the reasons I love that movie is I always say it reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> oh, explain! I'm 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 I'm, uh, oh, I'm bubbling no. here. You gotta explain. You gotta explain yourself. How you know? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a brief story. I would love this, um, yes. We were having a lot of problems in one of the houses I used to live in, a lot of serious problems with, um, we were all seeing stuff. Um, the thing was quite physical. Um, it would like physically grope you and punch you and friends would come over and see it too. It wasn't just us. And it just got progressively worse and worse. And then finally, um, um, I called literally every church in the county. This is before I started 
practicing shamanism, so I was too young to know how to take care of this myself at the time. So I literally called every single church in my county to try to have someone come bless the home. They all turned me down because they said I wasn't a member of their congregation, so they couldn't serve me. Um, Finally, one church did agree to send a priest over. And as soon as he walked into my house, and mind you, I didn't give them any background information, didn't tell them what was going on in the house, nothing. Just that I wanted the house blessed. As soon as the priest walked in the house, he started shaking and trembling. And as soon as he walked over to the room where the physical assault happened by whatever it was, he refused to go into that room. He would not step foot into that room. He threw holy water in it, but he would not go into that room. Wow. That's, just, that's pretty strange. That's my childhood. That's great. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I had a Knight Rider big wheel in my childhood. That was that was pretty spectacular. Yeah. No ghosts. But I was riding like Michael Knight. Oh, I don't think this was a ghost. It was way too violent. I don't know what it was, but yeah. I should I should read a book sometime. Oh, I did to, to learn the difference or something like that. And yeah, that, that yeah, requirement to keep my eyes open. I mean, what does need one of those audio books? You know, and that's our really strange dreams about you know. <laughs> but, or you could just hang out with me and my family, and this stuff will happen to you all the time. And that'd be boring, see. <laughs> They'll start having weird dreams about like weird naked like uh, ghosts uh, and me naked throwing tiny pickles at me or something like that, you know. And re- re- really, really, maybe stranger than that. I'll, I'll think of something later, you know. Stranger dreams than that, but that's pretty strange dream. Is that a bad thing? Say it again. Is that a bad thing? Being naked with a ghost. Okay, it it might be, you know. <laughs> Depends on the location of the pickle at the time. I mean, Ray got a blowjob from a ghost in Ghostbusters. You know, that was a thing. Exactly. He seemed really content with that. <laughs> like like you do, you know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little sucky this or incubus action, huh? <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> oh. So have you watched anything really great lately and anything really bad lately? Um, let's see. I watched in the theaters I saw Oculus and I saw the quiet ones. Um, neither of which impressed me. Oculus was slightly more impressive, but still not a good film. Um, and so I was just disappointed by both of those films. I think the last movie I actually saw in a theater that I really appreciated was Gravity, and that was just spectacular. And yes, I did see it in Beautiful. Theater. Yeah, I didn't see that yet. I'm, uh, I'm waiting for cable, basically, because I, uh, I'm broke and I can't buy Blu-rays at this point, you know, but things are getting, things are looking up, people, you know, Conve- convention Yay. season is over, so I'm a little less poor now, so. <laughs> Breaking autographs, draining my pocketbook. But have a good time, though. Aww. I just went the one on Friday. I went with my the, my lowest budget and my smallest packed bag ever to a convention. And I had a good time. Got to meet Batman. Yeah, that, was, that was pretty dope. Yeah, I saw the pictures. And Elvira, you know, the, the, the queen yeah. of a lot of our worlds, you know. <laughs> I would not have recognized her if you didn't identify who she was. Yeah, she looks she looks a little different, uh, not all done up. But uh, she's still pretty glorious at 60 years old. And yeah. Yeah, I'd be so lucky to look that well at 60. <laughs> Tiny little thing. I think maybe she's a lot taller with, with the spiked heels and, you know, maybe the breasts make her look taller because those are probably <laughs> the best natural breasts <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, you know? Oh, I must look seven feet tall. <laughs> oh, maybe then. you do. I don't, I've never seen you in person, so, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so in the male's eyes, the girls with big breasts grow at least an inch and a half. Let me tell you, she's her. A foot and a half, or, you know, whatever well, you want to call it. What exactly is growing in I don't know. We'll see. 
Ask me in 20 minutes. No, we'll see what happens. Though. <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do two films on this one. One being uh, partial, partially found footage, but not found footage all the way. But it's made by a director whose claim to fame was found footage uh, with his big debut, uh, Lovely Molly, uh, done by the director, editor, lots of other things, Eduardo Sanchez. And uh, uh, Wolf, <laughs> Wolf Story. <laughs> With Liam Neeson doing 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 wolf things, and in the gray trying to survive, or doing that one after that, and I'm sure uh, you have lots of stuff to say about it, and I'm looking forward to hearing that. But uh, we do my guest film first, which is Lovely Molly, and we'll hear about that right after the trailer. Oh, babe, I can't believe you moved back into this house. We should have sold that one, Dad. some neighborhood kids. You're gonna be all right, Mrs. Reynolds. Who's there? How you doing? Maybe we shouldn't have moved into this place. He's here, oh. he's here. Nobody out here. Everywhere. Who? Mom. You know who. I'd recommend a psychiatric consultation. What if she becomes dangerous? He's alive. We gotta get you out of this house. Lovely Molly from 2011, uh, plot synopsis, newlywed Molly moves into her deceased father's house in the countryside, where painful memories soon to begin to haunt her. And a lot of the weird shit, too. You know, it's, <laughs> that's kind of a vague description <laughs> of the film, but that's okay. Ah, uh, yeah, me and Eduardo Sanchez. Ooh, that's a, that's a storied history. Uh, me and my father went and seen Blair Witch Project because I saw the previews on TV. This was, like, the first big viral thing on the internet. And they made you believe that shit was happening and all this crazy stuff. Now, much to my chagrin, me and my father are going to see this big movie with a theater full of people. We're not as excited as the genre fans are, not, are now about the film, who seem to embrace it and love it, seeing that it's, you know, one of the first found footage and the start of many, many found footage films. And, uh, yeah, we were not too excited about the ending or the film as a whole, and neither was the whole audience, basically. Um... What's your take on found footage, really? I meant to ask you that. I absolutely love the genre, and I know I'm in the minority with that. 
But what I like about found footage is it actually puts me in the place of almost like first person actually seeing what's happening. Um, so for me, it makes it seem more realistic. Yeah, I, I like it. Okay, I like certain ones like Troll Hunter. That that was a lot of fun for me. You know, when when they're done right. Yeah, the the problem with uh, found footage post Blair, Blair Witch Project. Every person had a had, had a video camera, so every person decided, "Hey, I can make a movie too." And the problem with that is that eighty five percent of them are crap. And there's that small <laughs> a small sliver of really good ones that you're like, "Wow, this person put a lot of great thought into this, and, and a lot of actual filmmaking into this film." And it's just like, you know, I, I can't watch. I always say, show me a good one. You know, recommend a good one. And then I'll tell you if I like it or not. And then and I usually and, do when you say recommend a good one. And I do trudge through all of them. And a lot of them are absolutely craptastic. You're correct. Um, but still, I love the genre because I do still find some that I find really good. I never cared for Blair Witch much. I do love VHS and VHS 2. Um, Troll Hunter was pretty good until one point where they really pissed me off but other than that the movie was okay um but yeah i still love the genre i'll still continue to watch it great now uh, lovely molly um was a little different spin it had a little bit of found footage in there because there was a little bit of uh white folks using camcorders you know because they all got one apparently <laughs> but um yeah what do you think about this one like any favorite scenes or anything just tell me tell me what, it, what it's all about um I just love, again, as I mentioned, it covers the three levels of possession. Um, I love that it uses the obscure demon Orbis, which is um, basically, uh, depending on what your background is, you would consider him either a demon or an oracle. Um, so he can manifest in either a human form or a horse form or a combination thereof, because the folklore about him was that he was, um, during the great war between, I guess, God and Satan, or Lucifer, when they were cast out of heaven, it was a man on horseback at the time, and the horse suffered a great wound in his belly. So Oribus will sometimes manifest as an actual human horse chimera with this horrible wound that just reeks of horrible um, festering. That's where, that's where that smell came from then? Yes, exactly. And you'll see that they're referencing the smell throughout the movie. And, of course, Molly is acting like she doesn't smell it. But everyone else involved with Molly, especially when the manifestation was most intense with possession, they're smelling that smell throughout the film. So it's good if you have that knowledge going into the film. I did not have that knowledge going into the film. Um, but I was just so impressed by the fact that, Again, it covered the infestation, oppression, and possession, and I actually researched the demon a little bit to find out exactly who it was and why it was manifesting in these ways. Okay. Yeah, there, there's certain little crazy stuff that I don't like about this movie. Like, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't seem... Like I said, you read about this, and I didn't, so, you know, I, I didn't know any of the, you know, the rapey aspects of this demon. Was it her father? Was it this thing? You didn't know because the whole time they're talking about the whole idea of obviously I'm a like Jerry Seinfeld. What's with white folks moving into houses that are possessed? You know stuff like that, and you know just <laughs> it had happens in movies, and it happens in this movie too. You know moving into this house that they clearly had a, a bad past, and because you find out later, spoilers that her sister off the father inside the house because yeah. he was just a real piece of shit and was abusive and whatever was going on in that house, you know. And obviously the spirit was still there, and he was angry, obviously. And yeah. 
Well, Orbis, um, and the only issue I have with the film, really, and you might bring up other things that I might also take issue mm-hmm. with, um, the only issue I have with the film is that this demon never uses deception when he's um, presenting himself to a human. Um, but throughout this film, he's presenting himself as her deceased father so that he can get closer to her and that, so that there's some level of trust and it also heightens the abuse because of the incest between her and her father. Um, and that is um, not typical of an Oribis, um manifestation. Um, so then we have to wonder, was her father possessed by Oribis as well? And then she actually does uncover early on in the film a shrine to Oribis. So there seems that um, her father was either worshipping Oribis or possessed by Oribis. And that might have been part of the reason why he was abusive and um, sexually assaulting the daughters. Um, so there is a lot of history with the family, not even necessarily related to the house because of the um, infestation and possession of the Oribis. Yeah, it could be. But then again, you had to look, you had, you had to look into all this. Um, my main problem I have with the movie is you know, all of a sudden you think it's her father, you know, you, you get the, you get the smell, you know, that usually means that if you watch a possession movie at all, you know, that there's something evil hanging around where you get that, that, that dank smell, yeah. you know, but you, you, you always think that it's the father and the father was abusive and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, apparently this spirit follows her wherever she goes, even to work to apparently uh, violate her in a corridor. You know, that, that was the scene in that movie, which is, it's kind of funny looking to me. Not, not, I'm not calling rape funny, but you know, the fact that there's nobody there and she's just dry humping a wall just, just looks a little strange to me. You know, that, like, like, why would they even show this on film? Like just say, you know, show like glimpses of it maybe like oh here i'm gonna take it in the office to show you this and you know just it's just it's little stuff like that you know the the shaky cam stuff of course you you have the, the camcorder in this movie like you do in the other one you know and the whole thing with the neighbors that get, get i don't know if they got killed because like a the demon was hungry or whatever it was oh oh no i could explain that to you uh, well. go for it um what Oribus is known for is divination of um, knowledge of past, present, and future. And again, he's always honest with the people he deals with. So he was showing Molly that her husband, Tim, was having an affair with this neighbor lady. So Molly was stalking this lady, stalking her family. Uh, and again, this is all from knowing unknowable knowledge, which is, again, a sign of demonic possession is knowing the unknowable. So um, she was stalking the neighbor lady because Orbis revealed this information that your husband, Tim, is having an affair with this neighbor. And so she was stalking them, and eventually she took the life of the neighbor lady's child and buried her in a shallow grave. And again, that was all part of the demonic possession, just basically damning the cell, of, the soul of Molly. Now, was Molly, Molly was possessed by this thing, or there was this thing? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. There was, there was points, Hold and they on. did this real well, you know, where she... Would go from like looking normal. Even her, even her hair still looked good when she was possessed. I'm sorry, <laughs> she looked pretty tore up, but the hair was all in one place. And I don't know if I appreciate that or not. You know, because for somebody who gets violated as much as she does in this film, you would expect the hair to be a little bit more messed up than it was. <laughs> and not to mention the heroin addiction. Um, oh yeah. But um, no, she was absolutely full on possession. Um, once it as it was progressing throughout the film where she's questioning her sanity, where she's getting deeper back into the drug abuse, which she had been free from for so long. Um, that was, again, a progression of the possession. And 
um, again, my background knowledge of the possession, um, again, that, that's not something I had to research after the film, which is why I did enjoy going into the film, how accurate it was mm-hmm. with the levels of possession throughout the film. But yeah, she was full on possessed by the demon. It was feeding her knowledge, not necessarily knowledge she wanted to know, but it was all truth from knowledge that her husband was having an affair with the neighbor lady. Um, and that led her to stalk the neighbor and then, like I said, kill the child. And um, everything that she does, which is heinous in this film, oh, yeah. is absolutely directly related to the fact that she was possessed. And I know you mentioned the part in the at her workplace where it was filmed on security camera where she was being um, sexually assaulted by an unseen assailant. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like that part of the film. It surprised me because... Um, it's still rather rare these days that we actually see that in films. I know we've seen a little bit in paranormal activity, mm-hmm. but the whole unseen assailant is still um, largely not popularized in the Hollywood media. And it harkened me back to the old film, The Entity, which was actually based on a true story where this woman was being raped repeatedly mm-hmm. by demonic possession. And we see you get your, you're a mature viewer via the immature viewer watching this film. They might get the giggles from her dry hump in a wall. I'm sorry. Just, 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 <laughs> I, not this guy, but somebody else might get the giggles from her dry hump in a wall. You know. Well, I could, I could see that, especially if they've never seen the entity or if they're not aware that this is something that um, – because people go through life being told that ghosts can't hurt you, but first and foremost, this is not a ghost. And secondly, that's not true. You know, well, the, spirits can physically assault you. There's certain movies that ruin movies for me. Like, there's a scene in the movie This Is The End where, where, jo- where Jonah <laughs> Hill gets raped by the devil. And it's, it's yeah. just like the scene of Rosemary's Baby. You, all you see is this giant swinging dick. <laughs> that ruined that scene of Rosemary's Baby for forever and ever and ever. And I have no I have no clue how people to watch it ever get it for the same. And, you know... And I find that is the most memorable part of This is the End. That and, of course, Rihanna being sucked into the, the hole of hell. <laughs> yeah, the movies like that and movies like uh, Dewey Cox, which I love. I love Dewey Cox. But I, I can never watch I can never watch Walk <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I can never watch Walk the Line with a straight face ever again. <laughs> never again. Because <laughs> you never did pay for drugs. Not once. <laughs> I love Tim Meadows, but I don't know what it is. He's one of those that guy actors that are awesome. But I'm off topic, and I don't care. It's, it's, it's a... Oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, lovely volume for me. It was it was it was a decent. It was a first time watch for me, but I've heard very oh, really? very mixed reviews about it. So I was gonna take the stance at the negative, but not really be negative about it. Besides the fact that I don't like the Dirty Sanchez, because <laughs> I'm not, I'm just not a fan of him, and, you know. But this this may be like him a little bit, you know, you kind of, kind of forgiven over Blair Witch, but I still didn't get it. I still didn't get like, like, you're explaining to me what's going on, but it's not really explained in the film. So your average viewer watching it, they don't know anything about it. Could you say, okay, this is happening. And, uh, this is happening. And, um, she looks tore up, you know, cause once you get that ectoplasm in you, you know, fucks it, fucks your mind. Hey, a little demon cock never hurt a girl. <laughs> Just stings a little bit, you know. Afterwards, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't make joke about you know the girl getting raped or anything, but you know that it's, it just seemed like you know you, you couldn't tell if it was the drugs, you couldn't tell if it was you know something was going on, well something obviously was going on because you know of course you know little goopy stuff like the bedroom light was on whenever she would come home and yeah, 
and again, it was her childhood bedroom. So that's where the incest was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that was actually quite disturbing in the film was um, at one one night she woke up, and this is early on. This is during the oppression phase, right before she became possessed, where she woke up to hear a child crying while her husband Tim was driving over the road trucking, so he wasn't around. She hears a little girl crying, and she goes into her childhood room, and she opens the closet door. She's not at all afraid as she opens the closet door because in her own way she knows this is actually her crying as a child. Um, and then she reaches her hand into the closet. So in some way she's actually embracing and accepting the fact that she was molested for so many years and abused by her father. And in this way she's also accepting and embracing the demon in the form of a child. And that's where the total possession takes yep. place. After that, everything is just completely downhill for her. Her personality changes. The stalking increases. She becomes more violent towards her husband. Oh. Her um, power and addiction becomes worse. She's uh, coming on to the pastor that was sent to help her. Oh, that pastor was a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He got what he deserved. I guess, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, come she, on. She, I mean, she was laying it on pretty thick, though. You know? Yes, but still, I mean, she's a woman, as far as he knows, she's a woman in distress whose husband sent him to help her. Oh. He was the pastor presided over their wedding and their newlyweds. Oh, I'm, 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 I mean, not, I'm not, you know, saying, hey, you go, man, go, go get some. I'm just saying that she yeah. was laying it on pretty thick, like, you know, and, it, and it, here you go. He's only a man, you know. But just, oh, yeah. And that was, again, the demon manifestation because she was, the the pastor was coming close to realizing what was going on there when Molly was still lucid enough to say, he's still alive. And you'll hear her say that throughout the film. Um, He's not dead. Referring to her father because she's still believing that what she's seeing and what's happening to her is her father, her dead father. When what we know is actually the demon in her father's form, because again, Oribus can take the form of a man. So as the pastor is getting close to realizing there's something going on here, that's when the demon took on full form again with her and just completely started sexually coming on him even stronger, becoming more vulgar and to the point where the pastor just finally laughed. But then again, we see later on in the film, and maybe this is where we'll win back some viewers who were just completely put off by the whole um, unseen entity raping her in the hallway. We now see Molly standing outside of the house, full-on frontal nudity naked. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully we'll win back some viewers there. So, yeah. <laughs> Got the little landing strip and everything going. And then... Um, the pastor just comes out of the car and just walks up to her and just drops on his knees and just completely submits to her and in essence gives into the demon. Yeah. Cause she was, uh, that, that could be another thing too. Why she, he was so easy to go back to that and he could have did something to him, you know, to convince him to come back and try the goods basically. And, you know, being persuasive, well, pers- persuasive to her, uh, her pastor there, Padre there. And, well, like you said, he's only a man, and you know, a man can only endure so much temptation if he is weak. Uh, and let's get back to the husband. I, th- I think he was pretty useless in this movie. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I know. I mean, he knew he knew her past. He he obviously knew that she was abused. He had to know this, and that she had a terrible drug problem, drug drug addiction problem. And he's just talking. Oh, there's nobody in the house. Don't don't worry about it. You know, she could be experiencing some kind of 
schizophrenia that he knows nothing about or knows something about. He just doesn't care because he's he's uh, rolling on 18 wheels and he can't be home to take care of his new wife. And and that was um, and he was just kind of an asshole to her about this whole thing. And of course, you know, you got the scene where he <laughs> she she bites his lip for some, you know, yeah. just you, you could tell, especially when you were talking about when she was come outside to full nude, you know. That she was just devoid of herself at that point, because normal Molly wouldn't do this, and um, she she just you know she's gone. Yeah, and that happened. That whole scene happened right after um, we see an episode uh, where she's panicking, she's completely freaking out, and it looks like a psychotic episode to you know someone who doesn't understand this is actually possession. Um, so it looks like she's having a psychotic episode. She runs into the bedroom with her husband. She's like, he's here. He's here. Can't you hear him? He's coming up the stairs. He's right outside the door. She is completely panicking. And her husband, rather than comforting her, he opens the door. Yeah. I mean, even though he's not hearing or seeing what she's seeing, I mean, he is just letting in whatever is terrifying her, whether it's real or imaginary. And then um, she hides herself in the closet. She's got the camcorder because she's trying to prove to everyone this is really happening. She's trying to show us what she's seeing. And then her husband storms into the closet, and he literally rips the camera out of her hand. I mean, that was like her only, her only thread of sanity she had left is trying to prove this is really happening. He tears that from her hand um, rather physically. And then finally the demon just takes over her again. So she starts sexually coming on to him and then she gets sexually aggressive with him, assaults him, bites him at length. That biting scene was quite lengthy. Mm -hmm. And then she went all animalistic and retreated into the woods. Um, And then we see um, the husband, Tim, calls her sister Hannah over for help. Um, Tim is immediately just wanting to institutionalize her, even though it's his newly wed wife. He's just not wanting to deal with this. I mean, he's got a mistress on the side. Who needs this crazy heroin addicted um, psychotic, you know, when he's got everything else going for him? So um, Hannah convinces Tim not to have her institutionalized again. Just give Hannah a chance to see what she could do to help out Molly. Um, she finds Molly in the basement. Again, there's that smell. There's that that horrible, open, festering wound of Oribus' stomach. And what was that thing she, she pulled out of the wall? That was actually a deer that she had found in the woods earlier on when she was stalking the neighbor. Oh. She found a dead deer, so she I remember that deer. now, yeah. Yeah. She put it up in the, um, the rafters, and then she's stabbing it with a screwdriver that the demon had led her to. And while she's stabbing it with a screwdriver, much in the way that Orbis's horse was impaled when he was cast out of heaven. Um, she's stabbing it with a screwdriver. The deer comes out of the rafters, and then Molly is just holding on to this deer, just cradling this deer, and then accusing her sister Hannah of having killed their father. Again, knowing the unknowable. There's no way Molly would have known that, but Orbis was revealing that information to her. Truth of the past. Yeah, that's it. It's a real strange film for me. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad we have this conversation because you, you you're putting a lot of into perspective for me. It's probably to reflect on my score too, for how much I like this movie. I, I won't go back and watch it again probably uh, right away. But <laughs> I, I like it. I like it enough to say, okay, I saw Lovely Molly and it wasn't terrible because some, <laughs> somebody put it in perspective for me, and you know I appreciate that. Well, I, I'm glad I helped you out with that because I'm I would hate for you to just judge um, this director on Blair Witch because um. 
as much, and I know people are going to hate me for saying this, but I am a fan of the found footage genre. Um, it's, it's good. I mean, they do it right. I mean, I, I enjoyed um, Troll Hunter and that, you know? But, but I enjoyed Troll Hunter until one point where there was this really just one point just really pissed me off. Well, the, the, and then the, the problem with with people like Blair Witch Project that after that, any schmuck with a camcorder thought they could make a movie, and you know there is a real problem with that when you got a few <laughs> winners and a whole lot of losers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll go through them all, sorting for the good winners because. What I like about the found footage, and mind you, I'm not a huge fan of Blair Witch. I was not scared with that. I was not impressed with it. So don't don't get me wrong. I know that was like the origin of the best known found footage genre. Oh, yeah, I used to have friends um, say, oh, if you get a really grainy bootleg copy of it, you'd be really scared if you're watching in the dark. Like, shut up, man. No, no, <laughs> even, no. But then again, nothing scares me in terms of movies, which is another running joke with me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I wasn't impressed with Blair Witch. I, that didn't scare me. I was not impressed with that. But what I like about found footage film is that it puts you more in the um, context of you actually being there, seeing what they're seeing, uh, experiencing it more firsthand. And that makes it more realistic for me. So I appreciate it in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it too. And um, Any other uh, final, any final thoughts you want to say about this movie, though? Um, other than I love it, I've I've watched it so many different times. Um, at the very end, we do see her again, full on nude. So again, we'll win some winners back from <laughs> uh, from whatever we lost them. So she's full on nude, and um, she's come to the realization of the horrors that she's committed. She has murdered the priest yes, with terribly. the screwdriver. She murdered her husband with the same screwdriver. She murdered the neighbor's child. Um, these are just horrible, atrocious acts that she's committed. I, I, I love the husband's death, by the way. It's so simple. She just like mounts him and just jams that screwdriver in, <laughs> and then I love no more. Down the stairs. <laughs> it's, it's not like you know he's like moving around and like, oh, I'm still living, but the screwdriver's in the back of my head. No, she just jams it in the right exact right exact place, yeah. and you know, no more you, you know. Yeah. I, again, uh, knowledge of knowing exactly the precise place how to execute him. And again, we could thank Oribus for that. Um, but at the end of the film, the part that literally gave me chills, and again, movies don't scare me, because I didn't recognize this as Oribus throughout the film, because although I recognize all of the signs of the possession going into the movie, I am not familiar with the specific demons in the hierarchy. So when she's walking out at the very end, spoiler alert, we're going to tell you how it ends. Um, we see her walking into the darkness and all of a sudden, slowly, we start to see the image of something tall and breathing like a horse snorting out um, warm breath in the cold air. So we see that breath coming out in either direction. And then we see these long arms opening to embrace her because this is the final demise of her. She is going home to hell now. That's her. She can't live this living hell that she's in. And she is going to be taken to hell. Yeah. And the end was kind of, this is what gets you endings, the shit to bed. And this one kind of did for me, too. Because you're not going to see Lovely Molly, too. And, you know, you no. kind of got that. Like, oh, oh she's no. Although, you may well, because uh, you reminded me, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Go but, for it. Um, the very end of the film, we see her sister Hannah going back to the, the family farmhouse where they were both raised, where Molly killed her husband and the priest. Um, Hannah goes into the farmhouse. It's empty now. She goes into the childhood room where she finds a photo album. 
And in the photo album, she sees that Molly has taken every photo of their father and replaced his face with a horse head. So Hannah is looking at this. Again, this is all symbolic of Oribus, the horse-headed demon. So Hannah is looking at this disturbed, and then Hannah hears something in the closet, just like Molly did right before she became totally possessed. So Hannah opens the closet door in the exact same way that Molly did, and just like Molly did, she reached out her hand to something that is crying in there that we don't see, and again, showing no fear. So at that point, Hannah is about to become fully possessed as well. Yeah, but Hannah's a little more not-so-weak-willed as her sister was, you know. Did I think that, I don't know, you, you'll never know now probably, but, you know, there might be a sequel coming. I, I, I wouldn't think so, but maybe. You know, I'd actually see lovely Hannah, though, because I think Hannah was a little more stronger than her sister was, but, you know, that that's just me, though. That, that, that's one of those endings where you're like, oh, here, here, here you go, here's your end, and, you know, this is where we're going to fade to black, and I'm like, fuck you. You know, it's just, <laughs> get out of my face. <laughs> that's just me though you know I'm, I'm glad I'm talking with you about this movie though to tell you absolute truth I wouldn't expect a sequel but it is showing that the cycle of possession continues through Hannah and mind you Hannah is also into drugs Hannah also survived the incest and Hannah is a murderer yeah. so if anyone is prone to possession she might be one yeah but she, she murdered out of you know I guess defense you know I guess you would call it not like she was an opera blood. It took a long time. I'm sure it took a long time for her to get to that point. He, she was broken enough to do her old daddy in. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying the murder was unjust. And she flat out told Molly that she did have to kill their father once Molly accused her of it. Um, she had to kill her father because her father would not stop touching Molly. So after Hannah left, it was only Molly that was being sexually abused. And since he wouldn't stop, Hannah went and killed him. In an effort to save her sister. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real strange bag, and I hope folks listen to this. And there's a lot of spoilers in this, but I hope you'll go back and watch the film because visually, it's 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 a very strange film, and I I enjoyed it though. Um, yeah, we'll do ratings, I guess, one through ten. What do you give it one through ten? I give it a nine. Okay, that's good. I'm gonna give it lower than that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it about a, a six because it's not something I normally would enjoy. But I enjoyed it more because you gave me better perspective on it. So I might go back and watch it. Not, not tomorrow, but sometime soon, you know. I hope you do. And just remember, full frontal nudity. Yeah, you get that in this movie. Twice. <laughs> twice. <laughs> She's a little worse for wear. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, though, go for it. <laughs> She's been rode hard and put away wet by a horse-headed demon. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we'll be uh, right back after this.
Food. If we don't move and work now, we're all freeze to death. Somebody will find us. They gotta know that plane went off the radar. Nobody's gonna find us. Not here. We figure out what way is south and we start walking. This will be one of those wild stories you tell at a party. <laughs> get up, get up. Don't move. Stare right back at him. Into that tree line, we can better defend ourselves. Go, go, go! Hold on! You gotta be kidding me. We can climb down. If we fall in a river, we got a better chance of finding shelter. How are we gonna deal with this? We take them on, one at a time. I want to see your face, feel your hands and mine. Uh, we're doing the gray next uh, that Liam Neeson joined from just a couple years ago is about basically uh, a man who works at an Alaskan pipeline who only job is to really kill predators who are going to basically attack the workers and keep them at bay I guess and when they get on their plane to go back to civilization I guess you would call it Anchorage I believe it crashes and they're forced to live in the uh, ward off the wilderness that they're they're stuck in which is pretty much the frozen crazy tundra you know which is which is alaska <laughs> and a no-win situation a no-live situation and fight out the very predators that are that he shot many of them, i'm sure at the camp um you're not a big fan of this movie there there sin uh tell the folks why 
Oh, this film pisses me off on so many levels. <laughs> I, I'm a former Alaskan, so I lived in Alaska. I know Alaska. Um, I lived there for many years, so I know how life is there, okay? I know how the people are there. I know how the wildlife is there. I know the terrain. I'm also a former student pilot. I personally, unfortunately, um, survived a couple of fatal crashes myself. So, again, I have that knowledge going into the film. So there's all this background, again, that I have going into the film, which probably ruins it for me because it's not a bad action film. Don't get me wrong. But it pisses me off in so many levels with just things that are completely not based in reality. Um, first and foremost, and we, we refer to in Alaska, we refer to Anchorage as Lost Anchorage because it is the big city. Um, but the plane crash that occurred was with a bunch of Alaskan roughnecks. That's what oil workers are. These are people that know the wilderness. These are people that are rugged and outdoorsy and know how to survive. And then we have a plane crash where people started getting attacked by wolves and they don't even know what a wolf is. They don't even recognize a wolf. How the hell can you live in Alaska and not recognize a wolf? Mm, I, you know? I, don't, I never lived in Alaska, so I don't know if wolves run rampant there. They're that large or, you know, how crazy it is out there. I, I've never been there before. I, I never been. I never been past Missouri, so you know that's 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 my <laughs> you know. Well, Alaska is the only state in the union where wolves are not an endangered species. So wolves are prevalent in Alaska. I've literally had them in my parking lot. Um, so that bothered me. The other thing that bothered me, and I see this throughout Hollywood, is we see wolves attacking people. That does not happen in the New World. That has. There's never been a documented case of a healthy wild wolf ever attacking a human being in North America, you know, and that includes Canada, Alaska, U.S., and Mexico. That doesn't happen in the New World. I know we've come over from England, a lot of us, when we settled here, or, or Europe, and it used to happen in Europe, but that's not part of the New World life. That doesn't happen here. So the whole film just pissed me off there. Okay. But... I'll let you talk more about it since you actually have some good things to say, well, and I'll jump on it more. I, I have good things to say about this movie. I, I like people were complaining, not complaining, but you know, I, I could see the atheist argument coming up, you know, with Liam Neeson, which is fine. You know, if you don't have a Lord and Savior, you know, I'm 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 with that. I was baptized in the, in the Catholic Church. That didn't mean that the mean the big guy upstairs was square. You know, that's that's a thing. You know, with me. I'm not going to get into religion talk about it with anybody about, you know, you're wrong, I'm wrong, let's be wrong together, you know. But, yeah, I, I understand because he's pretty much this guy who, I, I don't know if he divorced his wife or he left his wife to go here because his whole No, she died. Oh, she died. Yeah, because um, at one scene we see, because we're constantly seeing the two of them in bed, and then one final scene we see that she's got some sort of um, IV going. Yeah. So basically she's preparing him for her own death. You see the drip. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if she was yeah. living or if he had to leave, you know, for her because she was sick because they never really they never went there. They, 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 you've seen the thing at the very end like you're talking about. You've seen the, the IV drip and mm -hmm. you had to assume something was wrong with her and that was a thing. Uh, I like the character of Liam Neeson, though. I, th I thought he was uh, pretty much like not like the other ones because especially when he came in from his shift, you know, so his supposed shift. But, you know, spoilers, he went out there to kill himself because yeah. he had nothing else to live for but to kill wolves and be cold, I guess, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which really is it, you know, that's all he had to live for, you know, and he, he had no, he had no girl. He, he, all he had was this job and the, the hanging out with these bunch of roughnecks, like you said, they were, 
you know, you get so bored working on a pipeline, they're just, only the only thing they have is to go drinking at this bar, which is brought up later, you know, that, that's all I do is drink and work on this oil, this oil thing, and, you know, and that's all I have, and there's a lot of longing for the families there. I mean, I, I love I love the scenes, you know, especially the one scene towards the end where the guy is, like, near death, and all of a sudden he sees his little girl like an angel, you know, and stuff like that. It yeah. really gets to me, stuff like that, you know, and and I, I thought that the, the makeups were great in this movie. I mean, you could really tell Liam Neeson, especially in the final scene, that he's been through some shit in this cold, and mm-hmm. they got the, 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 the makeup on the face right, and even on the hands right, and i never been out in the deep freeze, but I'd imagine your skin would chap up like crazy like that if you, if you were out in that cold all the time. Because there's no way to get warm, obviously. <laughs> if, if, you're out, if, if you're out there in that shit, walking around constantly, yeah. there's no way to get warm. I don't care how many layers you got on. You'd be freezing your ass off. So your body's going um, to break down, you know, obviously. But go for it. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. Um, but that's, again, one of the things that bother me about the film is the plane crashes. It's supposed to be winter, but it's not. It's clearly spring. Mm-hmm. Trust me. It's supposed to be winter. Um, the plane crashes, and so there's all these dead bodies. And I, again, me being in survival mode here, having lived in Alaska, I'm like, okay, let's get clothes off these bodies. Even if they're wet or wounded, okay, then let's go ahead and get the suitcases because there's, what, 200 people on the plane? There's got to be at least 400 suitcases going on there with dry clothes. There's no reason why they wouldn't have been able to um, fight off the cold mm-hmm. long enough to survive. And so, no, they don't take the clothes. They don't do any of that to stay warm. They even abandon the aircraft, which if you've ever been involved in aviation or aircraft crashes or anything, it's the last thing you do. That's where the transponder is located. Yes. That's where the people searching for the down plane are going to be drawn to the transponder, so you stay with the wreckage. The wreckage fuselage offered shelter from the elements. It cut down on the cold and the wind. It cut down on the just the openness, the general openness of everything. So even with the you know fictitious wolf attacks that they were enduring, all they had to do was guard certain openings in the fuselage, and they would have been okay. But Liam's character suddenly has the brilliant idea of, oh, let's go into the woods. We'll be safer there. That's like standing on the beach after a shark attack and say, let's go into the water mm-hmm. with the sharks. We'll be safer there. Uh, I was just, especially with the film's conclusion, you know, like, oh, it all goes into perspective now, you know. <laughs> I, I just don't know what he was thinking and, and any of them following along with that. And again, these are Alaskan roughnecks. They, they have weapons on them. They have firearms on them. They should. I mean, Alaskans, we own guns. That's what we do. Um, Even aircraft pilots, there's an axe in the cockpit a lot of times. They could have taken that. Um, Aircraft pilots a lot of times will also carry a firearm in the cockpit, so they could have taken that. They could have taken first aid kits. They could have taken clothes. They could have used alcohol to dress the wounds. I mean, there's just so much survival stuff that they didn't even try in this film. They were just throwing themselves into their own death the wolves didn't even have to kill them they were just just submitting to death on their own they just resigned to their own death yeah i remember the director of this film and i'll throw this out here is the the guy this is coming from the director of smoke and aces which is a film that i love but it's not a survivalist film it's about a bunch of people going into a hotel and killing each other <laughs> which is it's, it's fun it's fun to watch a bunch of assassins going at it but you know 
it's not this movie. And the A-Team film, which is, you know, a film that I can get behind if you're a fan of the, the, the series. But it is a silly film. But Charlotte, it's got a Charlotte Copley in it, and I'll watch anything he's in. I saw Maleficent, and I thought he was great in it. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, this movie, I, I see, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about these and he's surviving. I'm, I'm not as with, weak as like, it's like, what do you have to do to the zombie apocalypse? I'm going to fucking get eight because I'm, I'm not <laughs> fucking uh, 200 pounds overweight and I can't run. I'm fucking slow. I'm going to get fucking eight, you know? So, so if you ask you, you know, anything like, what did you do with this? What would you do with it? I'm probably going to fucking die, you know, because it's not even a question, you know? I'm, I, I, I can make my own supper. I can, I can wash my own clothes. But if, but if you ask me to go out and this shit like where they were at, I might lose my fucking mind and say, okay, nice knowing you. I'm going to stare and freeze to death, okay? I'll see you later, you know? Because I don't want to hold anybody down. <laughs> and again, these are roughnecks. They know. I mean, the climate they were coming from as oil workers up in the Arctic was colder than where they crashed. So, again, they know how to deal with the elements. I mean, But they tr- they they treated the characters as they were just completely ignorant, like they've never been in Alaska, like they've never been outside. And... um I, I was just, just, the film pissed me off throughout the film. It just was so annoying to me because I could watch, you know, fantasy, action, whatever, sci-fi. As long as I know I'm expected to suspend all reality to watch the film and enjoy it, I could do that. Mm-hmm. But this film could have had some realistic aspects in it. Some. Because I know it's trying to portray itself in that way. Yeah. Um, but in, it really had no realistic aspects in it. And I never even noticed the whole atheist aspect until I saw people posting on your site mm-hmm. about that. I never would have picked up on that because I saw um, Liam's character as something of a ferryman, mm-hmm. you know, helping people cross over yeah. and even helping the wolves that he would shoot because we see him, you know, in an early on opening scene where he shoots the wolf and he's putting his hand on it as it's breathing as it's about to cross over. So in some way he comes across as like the fairy. Oh yeah, definitely. Or even a shamanic perspective from that. So I never saw the atheist uh, perspective. There's definitely compassion, you know, in, you know, the the things that he was, uh, hired to kill. Basically, he definitely had compassion for these animals, but then again, they're, they're wild animals. And, and Nick Cotero's wolves in these movies, I, I, I like, I was like, this somebody I know did these fucking wolves. They look great. You know, the mechanical effects of these wolves. And it was Greg Nicotero, of course, who does everything. And I thought the wolves, I don't know how true to life that these wolves look like real wolves. But I thought they looked vicious enough for me to be afraid of them. And that was what was important to me, you know. And I like to, I like to think that Liam, uh, <laughs> at the end of this movie, uh, kicks some wolf booty. Because that's probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole film. Is that the last frame of that film. Where he uh he he tapes the was he taped to his hand he tapes the liquor bottle um, to his hand yeah he breaks liquor bottles tapes them to um between his fingers like claws and he's ready to fight the alpha wolf full on so I like to think Liam survives <laughs> he beats the alpha <laughs> wolf and then you know the other ones just kind of back off you know but I don't think so did you watch to after the credits because they show what happened oh I didn't watch after the credits no after the credits we see um. Liam laying his head on the alpha wolf's body. And again, we see the wolf breathing, but it's a death rattle. Um, So it seems that Liam's character is dead and the wolf is also dying. 
So they both died in the fight. Oh, okay. Neither one of them lost. Neither one of them won. Because if you just, they just looked like it is, and I wish they would. I wish I would never found that out now. I'm, I'm not yelling at you or anything. <laughs> but it had, it had a very very ending like like the wrestler had, where, where, where Randy the Ram was going up for one final Ram Jam, supposedly. He could jump off the top ropes, and that's all you saw was him diving off the top ropes because he was basically having a heart attack in the ring. Oh, no. And, you know, you didn't know if he lived or died, and that was the, one of the best parts of the movie to me. Like, you know, wow, you know, these, he's come back, and, like, his life turned to shit again, and now it's kind of shit again because he, he betrayed his daughter, and then, you know, but he's got love from the stripper, which is fine with me, you know? <laughs> Who doesn't love Marissa Tomei with pierced nipples? This guy, that's, this guy loves her, you know? But uh, it had one of those kind of endings if they just left it like that. So now I'm just trying to, okay, okay, you know. Liam dies. He dies. Yeah, just. I I knew he was gonna die because I mean, really, he's fighting a wolf. <laughs> Come on. He's gonna fight a den of wolves. He, he, I I exactly. He's in their den. He's surrounded by the pack. He's weakened from all of the days he's been out there exposed. And I mean, there's no way he's gonna win. He's he's practically unarmed despite his little liquor bottles. Um, yeah, he's not. I mean, I've I've fended off dog attacks. And, yeah, if I didn't have people pulling the dog off me, I wouldn't have survived. Yeah, I mean, so, there's no... That, 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 huh? that did portray that, that last stand, like, okay, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all out of patience. You know, just come on, let's get this over with. And I, I love I love the, the, the glare, and then the wolf glares back at him, like, you know, all right, let's do this, you know. And it's almost like they had an understanding, like, you know, this, yeah. this is going to happen. You know, you, you and me, big guy, you know, and... I like to think that they just they, they they made a charge at each other like just those just just him and the wolf you know, but I doubt it. You know? <laughs> and again, me coming from um, a shamanic perspective, and like I said, I didn't see him as an atheist throughout the film at all. I saw some sort of um, shamanism in the way he handled everything. Um, the ultimate honor in shamanic religion is to be devoured by your power animal. And so in this way, you know, he's been, he's been helping these wolves ferry along to the afterlife, you know, as his job. Um, and now he's been fighting the wolves, which, you know, obviously the wolves are winning. And now at this very end, he's finally being devoured by the wolves, which is the ultimate honor in shamanism. So I, I didn't see his death as a tragedy at all. In fact, it was the highest honor that he could have. And he actually paid homage to his father by reciting that poem oh, yeah. that his father had for him right before the death battle. Yeah, real powerful stuff. And the thing, you know, I love the part with the wallets. He collected all the wallets yeah. just because, you know, these wolves pretty much tear, tore his crew to bits. You know, the whole, the, the rest of they had to have, they had to rip them limb from limb just for from eating them. And, you know, they might be unrecognizable when they find them, if they find them, you know. So the fact that he kept all the wallets just to say, you know, these are the guys that were here, you know, if they find these wallets, they'll know that they went out, you know, you know, wh whatever, just to know that they, that they were where they were. And I, I appreciated that scene in the movie. It seemed like something was real simple, you know, him looking, him looking at all their stuff, but it, it had a certain sentiment to me that, you know, he really cared about the people that, that that were around him, you know, even though he didn't like them very much, you could tell when he went into that bar, he's like, oh, he's a bunch of fucking hoodlums, you know, shit like that. He, he looked like my grandfather going into that bar. <laughs> you just shitting on my, my cousin, this punk rock friends. Bunch of hoodlums. Hoodlums, he used to call them all the time, you know, and 
he had that real real grimace on his face, like I don't even hang out with these assholes. But you know, the, <laughs> the fact that he, that he kept their their wallets just to say, you know, that they were there, and you know, these were men that were important because they were men nonetheless. But they're now they're they're dinner for these animals, you know. Yeah, he he infused the humanity back into them. Um, and these are men who were strong enough to have survived the craft or lucky enough and then um, to brave the wilderness. Um, so he was, you know, honoring the humanity in them right before those final moments. And again, I found that significant because this was coming from a man who early in the movie was about to commit suicide. So we're seeing a man who had no value for human life suddenly valuing human life at the very end of the film. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, uh, it's pretty important to me that that whole... Shit, the last 20 minutes is probably the most important thing to me. I think, personally, they could have cut this down 20 minutes, and it might have been a more enjoyable experience for people. A lot of, a lot of folks who don't like this movie, you don't like this movie, for obviously for the reasons we talked about, but I know a lot of folks who watched this and enjoyed it, and, you know, for, you know, the action aspect of it and the, the, the isolation aspect of it, and that was carried over into Lovely Molly as well, her whole isolation thing. I didn't mention that, but, you know, that I'm sure that helped. I'm sure that helped her psychosis right along her being all by herself, you know, and yeah, and uh, this this is no exception, you know, with them them being basically up up the creek without a paddle and surviving where they're at and whatever. People like that aspect of it, and of course, you know, you got the great action scenes where they're like going over the creek, which is or whatever the hell they're the river or on whatever clothes they tied together or whatever the hell it was. Is, oh yeah, I, it's, yeah. It's very, it's, I it's very CG, of course, you know. But yeah, I mean, it, it looked okay though, and um, yeah, I like it okay. I, I'm not saying it's the best thing you're ever gonna watch this year, but I, I can, I think it's on Netflix, so it's it's worth your time it to is. give a watch one time, and if you like it, watch it again. Yeah, and I, I like Liam Neeson, so don't get me wrong. And you know, I like action, and of course, you know, it had that's what bothered me. It had all of the components of a film that I should love. It had Alaska, it had the plains, it had the wolves, it had Liam Neeson. So it had all of the components of a film I should love. But because it just completely spit in the face of reality and I wasn't prepared for that going into this film, it pissed me off to no end. Um, it wasn't a bad film at all. And I would suspect that the average person who hasn't had my life experience would probably enjoy it far more than me. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad film. It just pissed me off. Mm-hmm. I like to mention somebody uh, I work with, uh, whatever we record, actually, the Terror Troop, uh, Boss Butcher, a.k.a. Eric Cornelis is his birth name. He's uh, They live in Colorado, him and Bloody Lizzie, and they're really big on the the wolf sanctuary there, so support them whenever possible. You know, it's, a, it's important for them to have a place where they won't get shut up and stuff and, you know, yeah. live free. So they're, they're really big on that. So look, look into that, people, and uh, donate if you can, you know. I'm sure the wolves will appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, wolves are not our enemies. They're not our enemies. There's wild animals doing wild animal things. I, I've been in the wild with wolves literally following behind me and beside me, and I'm perfectly fine. Well, that's good. Well, sin, lady of nature. <laughs> Come, my animal friends. I bet you felt like the beast master, did you? Well, well, I've actually had ravens and stuff follow me into buildings, so there's definitely, um, yeah, when I'm around, animals act unusual. All you need now is a pouch. You could get, like, two ferrets going. You just walk around with those two ferrets doing stuff for you. <laughs> animals at my beck and call. Exactly. You need, you need that, man. It'd be amazing. 
I've always said if I get a ridiculous amount of money, first thing I'm buying is a freaking monkey. <laughs> we'll go on the road together like Clyde and Clint Eastwood, you know. <laughs> I'll just hang from your beard. Hell yeah. That'd be a lot of fun, man. I don't know what I'd name them, but that'd be a ton of fun. <laughs> Teach them how to punch people, you know. I don't, I don't know. That'd be a lot of fun, though. I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say about the gray? Um, I would urge people to go ahead and watch it. Like I said, if you don't have my life experience, it's probably a very enjoyable film for you. It wasn't bad. The action was interesting. Um, I wasn't bored. Um, the special effects of the wolves were pretty good. Um, and again, I like Liam Neeson, so I would watch pretty much anything he's in. So go ahead and watch it and don't get as pissed off as I do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my sentiments are, you know, I, I, I appreciate everything you're saying. This is a really interesting show for me because you're giving so much insight on both films. And I uh, I love you for that, Sin, because, you know, especially on that last one. And, um, yeah, I, I like it. I like I like uh, every, not everything about it, you know, because, like I said, it's a little long, which is probably the biggest flaw for me that it could have been like an hour and 35 minutes to get the same job done. Mm-hmm. But it's like an hour and 52 minutes. Yeah. yeah, there could have been a lot cut out, like you said. So that's like the biggest flaw of this movie for me, that it could have been cut down just, just slightly. And uh, got the same amount of work done by Liam Neeson. I've always been a fan ever since Next of Kin, you know? I've always been a big fan of Liam Neeson. Um, yeah, uh, I'd uh, recommend it to, to watch. It's on Netflix, like I said. So what have you got to lose but part of your $8 a month? So. Yeah, and and both um, the Gray and Lovely Molly are both currently on Netflix. Yeah, they drops up all the time, so I didn't know for sure if that one was on Netflix or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. They're both on Netflix, guys. So give them both a watch. Uh, scores now. Oh, what do you give it for a score? Um, because I want to be fair to the film, and that it wasn't it wasn't a bad film. It just pissed me off. Um, I'll give it a six. Great. Um, like I said, the length hurt it. Um. But it was uh, still an enjoyable experience. I like uh, I like the heart of the film, for especially from Neeson, you know his his redemption, and for all that and uh, all the stuff you told me, I'm gonna give it a uh, a seven point five, and I, I I like it, so I'm gonna leave it at that basically. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back to uh, close out the show. Join me for one hundred years of horror. Where can horror fans go to feel welcomed? <laughs> Where they're sure to be safe from harm. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. The answer is deep down in the boiler room with the Phantom Eric and his reanimated skeleton friend, Lester Reaper. It's alive. Watching. Waiting. With a new film and related themes each week, there'll be plenty of monsters and ghosts to meet. And perhaps even some of the living dead. We're going to meet death now! <laughs> the living dead! <laughs> so make sure the doors are locked and the children are put to bed. Have you checked the children? children. And join us on iTunes, Stitcher, and through the Horophilia.com network. Join us! Join us! Join us! The Phantom Eric and Lester Reaper are ready for the journey. Are you? We have such sights to show you.
miles of bad road. And now they have a microphone and their own show. It's the Daily Grindhouse Podcast, the official podcast of dailygrindhouse.com. Starring G. You tell that bitch who sent you here. How sorry I am, I can no longer be her friend. And the man called Perry. I'm the one that killed Monday, whooped Tuesday, and put Wins in the hospital. All the birds did a tell five did not the birds spared the old son. Reviewing the hits and the hidden from the world of exploitation, cinema, and beyond. Featuring exclusive cast and crew interviews. Past guests include John Carpenter, Robert Forster, Brian Trenchard Smith, but still no Steve Gutenberg. <clears throat> well, uh, we'll get him someday. We promise. I mean, we promise. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Podomatic, and of course at dailygrindhouse.com slash podcasts. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast. Tough films for the rough crowd. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avenger. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horophilia Podcasting Network. Well, Sin, uh, thanks for being on the show, and I, uh... I really appreciate all your insight and everything. You really brought a lot to the table on this show. I hope folks, uh, hope folks enjoy themselves uh, listening to it. Well, thank you. Um, would it be okay if I give some shameless plugs? Yeah, go for it. Anything you want to push, uh, now it's time. <laughs> okay. Um, you could find me on um, 790 AM KNSP on Tucson's most stimulating talk radio, terrestrial radio. I am the LGBT correspondent for The Morning Ritual with Garrett Lewis. So you could listen live on 790 AM KNST in Tucson. You could stream live online at KNST.com. You could listen on iHeartRadio. And there you could find it live also on podcasts. We, um, the show is live from 6 to 9 AM weekdays whenever they have um, an issue that involves the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. I'm usually on to discuss it. And um, so you could find me there. You could also find me on Facebook at Cindy Finn. Fallon, that's S-I-N. If you send me a friend request, go ahead and tell me who you are and why you're sending it, because I'm pretty cautious about who I accept friends from. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got, I got uh, not too much going on, really. Um, I'm starting to upload shows to legionpodcast.com, so if you guys want to look, look for my shows there. All of my programs, Sin uh, of Beef Podcast, The Bird and the Beard, Sausage Fest Reviews, we get that back on the roll again. And uh, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, which is a video commentary show, in case you guys didn't know. Uh, we would do Popeye tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to doing that with some, with some fellas and getting a good chuckle out of the songs and stuff and getting real excited at the end. Like I said before, I spoke about the ending of Popeye on multiple shows. I still get excited about it every time it comes on, you know, and <laughs> that's just me. You know, people hate that movie. Jeffrey X. Martin, you bastard, you know, <laughs> who, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to quote him here because this is kind of really funny. I'm going to look for my phone real fast and. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but I want to get this this quote right about it. Here you go. Well, you can't make it. I'll be out visiting friends, which is just as well, because I would utterly destroy your ultimate love fest. I, I hate this. I hate this movie with a pounding purple passion. Yes, I hate it with I hate it with my dick, he says. That's the uh, Those are a direct quote from Jeffrey X. Martin about uh, Robert Altman's Popeye, you know. A beloved film from my childhood. <laughs> big shit on, you know. And now you have the visual of a big purple pounding dick to go with it. <laughs> I like to think about mine, mine is purple and pounding, but, but just it's adequate. I wouldn't call it big or anything, you know. <laughs> this one adequate sometimes, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be greedy. That's all I'm saying, you know. <laughs> oh boy. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, whatever Jeffrey X part of this episode. Oh, yeah, I forgot now. Yeah, I'm plugging my own shit. But uh, <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> Come join the Sin of Beef Facebook uh, group. Uh, we got a running running uh, raffle of sorts going on. Where you have four chances to win one of four great prizes, which include a couple of autographs, a Blu-ray, and uh, a, a vintage Dark Crystal uh, a movie card set, which I found on a shelf somewhere that I'm never going to use. So I'm giving it away to you lovely people. Ooh. Yeah, it sounds kind of stupid, but you know, there's the, the consolation prize, as they call it, you know. And uh, you, the only thing you gotta do is go to iTunes and either rate or rate all of ours, uh, Sylvie Podcast, Sausage Fest Reviews, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, or The Bird and the Beard, and you have four chances to win one of those great prizes. And uh, when we get this certain amount of reviews, I will uh, put all your names into a hat, and I will get those prizes away to uh, the lucky four of you. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Horn, find me on Twitter at GW. And, um, like the bird and the beard on Facebook. They'll make the bird very happy. I get some, <laughs> I get sometimes happy, but, you know, as, as most men know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, you know, and I'm a slave to my women's. Oh, man, no kidding. No, no kidding. Cause I love the bird, though. And she knows this. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it from this end. And, uh. As always here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. See ya. The beast in me is caged by frail and fragile bars. Restless by day. And by night, rants and rages at the stars. God help the beast in me. The beast.
beast in me Has had to learn to live with pain And how to shelter from the rain And in the twinkling of an eye Might have to be restrained God help the beast in me Sometimes it tries to kid me That it's just a teddy bear And even somehow manage To vanish in the air And that is when I must beware Of the beast in me That everybody seen him out dressed in my clothes patently unclear if it's New York or New Year God help the beast in me Peace in me.